We move on to Sarah Nagorka, who is a pharmacist, writer, and musician. She's passionate about translating science, particularly medical science, into live performance. And as we said before, she's had multiple Fringe Festival shows. But in a shameless plug that she's inserted into her biography, <laughs> she's always looking for fresh inspiration. So if your lab is doing something cool or your PhD is awesome and you want someone to make a show about it, don't be a stranger. Sarah. I'm going to talk about a lady called Gertrude Ellian. Um, so as um, was just explained, I have a pharmacy background. I'm not a chemist. Um, Gertrude Ellian was. Um, no matter how many times my own grandma calls me a chemist, I'm not. We don't really make anything exciting in pharmacy anymore. Although I once added water to a powder and shook it um, vigorously and made a solution. So, um, so Gertrude Ellian, she's a real chemist um, and commonly known as Trudy by her friends. Um, she's a chemist, a, lo a Nobel laureate and generally all-round superwoman. Her discoveries led to treatments for leukaemia, gout, herpes, AIDS, um, and immunosuppressant that allowed kidney transplants, because that's not enough things. She also um, transformed the way that drugs were just discovered in general with her um, research partner, um, George Hitchings. Um, so this was all in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. So I'd just like to set the scene on the world that Gertrude lived in. She was born in 1918, so I've brought some um, posters along with me that might, some pharma um, pharmaceutical ads that might help set the scene. Um, but first of all, I was just thinking the other night about um, those things that hang around inside, well, mainly outside, and sort of the annoying um, women. Um, <laughs> men are better than women. Indoors, women are useful or even pleasant. This is an ad from about the 30s. Um, palm olive, a really good one. Um, most men ask, is she pretty, not is she clever? Thanks, palm olive. <laughs> so this is the kind of environment Gertrude was in. Um, a wife can blame herself if she loses love by getting middle-aged skin. <laughs> but it's true, Bart, isn't it? And um, would your husband marry you again, Palm Olive? Not unless you're Mar Mariah Carey. Yeah, just setting the scene generally for what um, was going on in pharmaceutics at the time. Gertrude was born in 1918 in New York and raised in a Jewish household. And she said that really influenced her desire for learning. It's a Jewish tradition, she said. The person you admired the most was the person with the most education. So she learnt to read before school. She skipped two grades and graduated at 15, but mainly dabbled in performance, arts and languages and not really um, very focused on science. During her childhood, her grandfather would often care for her and take her to the park and look after her. And when he became ill in her final year, when she was 15, um, it had a profound influence on her. She quite literally watched her grandfather die in hospital and decided that that was it. Um, nobody should suffer that much. And she thought, somebody has to find a cure, why not me? It didn't even occur to her that it should be a man or someone who'd already studied chemistry. 
Um, so she just took up a science major in chemistry at a women's college and, and um, graduated with really good marks. But when it came to postgrad studies, no one would have her. Despite her excellent grades, she was rejected by 15 universities because she had ovaries. Um, discouraged, she applied for unpaid lab assistant jobs. One particular job interview lasted two hours where she was translating germ German patents and it abruptly ended when they said, look, you're good, but you'd be too distracting in the lab. Um, in her typical humorous way, she described this as discouraging, but I was pretty cute at 19. Um, eventually, she found a lab job that began um, paying her and it allowed her to enrol in New York University. She was the one woman that graduated in chemistry class and she used to write her thesis at nights and weekends. Um, once finishing school, she fell in love with a charming statistician called Leonard and they were engaged to be married. But in 1941, the um, couple's dreams were shattered when he became ill with um, bacterial endocarditis. So that's not a good thing to have in 1941. So he actually died six months later because penicillin was about three or four years away from being in production. So pretty tragic. As a result, um, Gertrude threw herself into her work. By the time she earned her master's degree, um, World War II was in full swing. So with many of the male scientists now involved in the war effort, um, chem labs were snapping up the women. Elian began working at Quaker Maid Company. She was measuring the acidity of pickles, the colour of mayonnaise and the mould levels in fruit. After a year and a half, she'd had enough of mould and she found a promising position at Johnson & Johnson. But six months later, the lab closed and she said, does that mean I'm fired? And they said, no, 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 we'll get you to measure the tensile strength of um, sutures. You can hang weights at the end and just see when they snap. She was like, no, thanks. She had bigger dreams. Um, incidentally, her father, a dentist, had be been sent a sample of painkillers. And he looked at the box and said, they're from New York. You should try and get a job there. A long shot, but why not? So that very Saturday, she made contact with a Dr. George Hitchings. Elian was intrigued by Hitchings' research project and he was impressed by the young woman's intelligence and energy and he took her on. So they went on to have like the most amazing research partnership. Usually someone will discover um, something amazing in one field but they just went on to discover drug after drug after drug. Um, and maybe it's just my obsession with the butterfly effect but it personally boggles my mind about what would have happened if she went on a different Saturday and didn't run into George Hitchings. And that's something she comments on all the time. Doesn't comment on all the time. She's actually passed away, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> She's living in my mind. Um, yeah. Um, Elian adored this new job. Conditions were difficult, with the lab located above the factory for an in infant formula factory. Temperatures were often 60 degrees, just kicking around in the lab. So she had to wear thick rubber-soled shoes to withstand the floor's heat, um, but she loved it anyway. Staff had water fights to break up the heat, and um, yeah, but in general, Elian had great independence. Hitchings was well um, ahead of his time and um, gave all his staff great independence. Um, 
Meanwhile, she was trying to f uh, finish her PhD. Um, three nights a week she'd go and finish, um, try and get her PhD. But then she got a call from the dean and he said, look, you've got to take it seriously. You've got to quit your job. Um, you can't go on like this. So she decided to ditch the PhD, which was a massive decision at the time. And everyone, she copped a bit of flack from it, from her parents, from her colleagues. Um, but in the end, she got 23 honorary degrees, 45 patents and Nobel Prize, all without a PhD. Um, but at the time, it was an extremely hard decision to make. Um, the other reason why I find her really admirable, admirable is her collaborative spirit. Um, she, had, she said, it's amazing how much you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. And I just like, find that so countercultural to today, where it's like holding everything to your chest. And yeah, I just find that quite fascinating. And you can see she just let other people play with her drugs to see what would happen um, in other labs. She wasn't really protective of it, and I think that's one of the major reasons why they went on in so many fields um, to have great success. Anyway, to the actual science. <laughs> um, Hitchings and Elian were inspired by an early antibiotic called sulfonamide. It looks a bit like a nutrient that bacteria use, um, and so the bacteria goes along and is like, yum, eats it, essentially. And, um, and then dies because it's the wrong thing. And so they were like, why can't we do that with other um, living organisms and with the building blocks of DNA? They were working on purines, so like they were making things that looked a little bit like the purines but um, changed them ever so slightly. And they like to call them uh, rubber donuts. We now call them anti-metabolites, if that means anything to anyone, but I prefer to call them rubber donuts. I think it sounds awesome. So essentially, um, a disease cell would be fooled into taking this up instead of the real DNA building blocks, and then it couldn't, um, it couldn't essentially reproduce anymore, and it would die. People thought they were crazy and ignored them, so it was kind of good for their research. But finally, after lots of work, Elian synthesised 6-mecaptopurine, which is still used today in leukaemia and lots of other conditions. And like I was saying, she had a great collaborative spirit, so she just let someone else play with it. And he discovered it actually um, was an immunosuppressant as well. But eventually they um, trialled it on a, a dog called Lollipop, and, um, and they were able to transplant a kidney into Lollipop, and it survived. Yeah, and she went on to... Um, she didn't stop there. Um, before that, she also went on to develop antivirals, so Zavirax, you might be familiar with with it as a cold sore cream and also um, a herpes treatment, all sorts of things. Um, and it was the first antiviral because before that people didn't want to touch um, viruses because it was way too toxic to create anything of that nature. She then retired and her lab a year later developed AZT. So that's, that was the only drug licensed to treat AIDS in the United States in 1991. She claimed she had nothing to do with that, but she was just modest. After her retirement, the story goes, she was in bed when she got a call from a radio reporter at 6.30 that said, how do you feel about winning the Nobel Prize? And she said, that's not very funny at 6.30 in the morning. Tell the person that said that that they're not very funny. But then apparently she got call after call after call and eventually realised that it was true. 
she goes on to say that the prize was very nice, but um, nothing compared to getting notes from children or their parents um, who had had leukaemia and were in remission, or from someone who had been living with a donor kidney for 25 plus years. Um, she didn't slow down in retirement, and she went travelling like a madwoman. A few years before she died, a relative joked that she had been everywhere except Antarctica, and the following year, Elian signed up for a cruise to Antarctica. <laughs> um, when she died in 1999, um, the head of Glaxo Welcome observed, which is now GSK, Gertrude Elian's love of science was surpassed only by her compassion for people. I think that's what struck me most, her compassion and her determination. It's hard not to write a talk that's just quote after quote after quote um, of the person you're talking about. I'll just do a list of them here. Don't be afraid of hard work. Nothing worthwhile comes easily. Don't let others discourage you or tell you that you can't do it. In my day, I was told women didn't go into chemistry. I saw no reason why we couldn't. And her favourite quote taken entirely out of context which she would repeat to students she mentored, particularly women in science. She would often say, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. Indeed, damn the sexist ads, the war, damn her own personal tragedy, the fact she had tried already and failed with certain drugs. She just wanted to make a difference and decrease the suffering in the world. 